Hola, Filterinos. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. As you know, uh, this decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. We believe everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We're going to have a bunch of links in our show notes. Everybody here at Pop Filter encourages you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This season is 1982, and the movie in question tonight is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a movie that has uh, some topics that we're going to get into tonight. I'm going to bring, I just called Greg and Mike back out. You know, like usually I like to mix up the contestants because it's a game Mm -hmm. show. You're going to get points based on... Um, how well you do, how well you talk about the movie, how well you make me laugh, how well you compliment my beard. Uh, but good beard, Ryan. Thanks, Mike. Mike. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to uh, push all that aside because coincidentally, we're doing Fast Times on the night of the Roe v. Wade. I don't know, uh, overturning, and Fast Times is, I think, a really important movie as far as the topic of abortion goes. Um. What were you guys going through today in preparation for this show? I'm going to be honest. I thought we were here to talk about the constitutionality of ordering pizza to school. And I am bummed. <laughs> yeah, the, it was um, the way it lined up with uh, the, the the sort of uh, like casual way in which this movie deals with abortion, like in a, in a perfect – it feels like closer to like a perfect society where – um, it's certainly not like, an easy choice and it's certainly not, um, without like any decisions or, or any, you know, repercussions or whatever, but ultimately it's safe, effective, and, uh, everyone can move on with their lives versus the absolute like yawning abyss of anarchy that this decision just absolutely throws the country into with these retrograde trigger laws that immediately, get put on the books some states have like law like different sets of laws and Mm -hmm. so it's not clear what you're going to prevail and how the 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 states are going to interact with one another about um travel or 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 um pills delivered through the mail and it's just it feels like um it feels like going back in time and i guess that's really what it is you know 82 there's like 10 years after the initial decision and it seems already so settled and it's 20 years before we get movies like Knocked Up where they won't say the word and they make a joke in the movie, like metatextually about how they can't say the word but won't say the word and will just say shmushmorshin. Um, yeah. I think that it's confusing to people. I did some research on this today and I think it's confusing to people that like this is as the second Roe v. Wade uh, was put into play, it was controversial and it was very accepted for decades and it wasn't until you'd be surprised how recently people were like eh, we don't like this anymore mm-hmm. 
Yeah, may, mainly as a, a political weapon, sort of um, embraced by evangelical Christians who had sort of not had much of a take on it at all. Until... And, then, and they were goosed until they did, so that yeah, they could get the votes. And right. Like, I mean, Christians for a long time were mostly Democratic voters because Republicans uh, had some horrible views on how they should treat people. They're always I, doing that thing where they twist their mustache and yeah. kind of cackle. And Christians are mostly anti-mustache, so they're like, we're not having any of that. Well, unless you're going to have the full beard, too, yeah. And even that in some circles. I don't know anything <laughs> about that. We are going to talk about the role that abortion plays in this movie, something that we would have done normally, but I think today it's going to be even crazier just because of, as Greg said, how this movie handles abortion is almost refreshing in a mm. movie that is 40, no, thir- fuck, not 40, 30. No, 40. Oh, no, my it's God. 40. Yeah, it's 40, 40 years, years old. dude. Yeah. 40 fucking years old. Yeah, dude. Woof. Yeah, for sure. You know, the the movie, the, the other movie like to just compare it to is, um, you know, never, rarely, sometimes, sometimes always. always. Yeah. Is where, that the bus movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, where, yeah, where she like goes on a, a trip to, to New York as a young girl to, to be able to secure an abortion. And just how dramatically different already that world is mm-hmm. and then how now there's a you know an extra layer on top of that i mean they're like and uh the idea that they are they're coming for more mm-hmm. you know it, it's, it's like this is already so awful and it's going to make it's going to materially make women's lives worse and it's going to kill women women are actually going to die this country we are awful about um mortality for 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 uh maternity and so we're sentencing so many women to that. And then on top of that, you know, um, lives that they did not choose for themselves. And that in it held up against this movie where it's just a girl's and life is not ruined. There's no she way she, she has a rough have... afternoon and then probably a rough. Yeah. Few weeks. yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff that she goes through. Let's not make yeah. it like she's just no, no, whistling. No, no. Dixie it's not to an the easy. Park, no, uh, it's not she's laughing after. Way. Like it's a weighty. It, it definitely it's it's a weighty laugh. It helps JGL grow. Uh, but I I don't know if this is the platform. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. My wife and I live in Colorado and we have a spare room and we are figuring out ways to open it up to people to who need to travel. So yeah, that. hopefully you have a job that is cool with that. Uh, we're gonna try to have fun tonight. We're gonna try and talk about like you know crack this movie open like we always do. Uh, we're gonna try to give Mike all the points because Mike always wins. But um, <laughs> I'm kind of the Spicoli of the group. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna try to focus. Uh, awful day. Let's take a break. <laughs> That's how you're ending it. Awful day. Da-da-da-da. In one of the most famous Hollywood stories, since Steven Spielberg bought a broken shark named Bruce. Young reporter Patrick Fuggett somehow tricked a high school into letting him go undercover at a high school for a year. He wrote a book called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. A year later, his script, based on his book, was handed to AFI wonderkind Amy Heckerling, an odd choice for a director at the time because she didn't have a penis. Heckerling would direct the teen comedy of the 80s, the teen comedy of the 90s in Clueless, and of course the teen comedy of the 2000s in Loser, Mike, you said you would Venmo me $20 if I said that about Loser. <laughs> uh, loo- Ryan, your little loan, my cans, can you turn that up a sconch? <laughs> oh, God damn it. You owe me $30 now. <laughs> the loosely plotted movie follows the teenager exploits of freshman Stacey Hamilton, her older best friend Linda, 
her older brother Brad, her would-be suitor Mark Ratner, Mark's best friend Mike Damone, and Jess McCauley, and about a dozen other characters as they spend one full school year on campus, at the mall, and at their woefully underparented homes. The movie was a hit in theaters in 1982, made stars out of everyone except Mark Rat Ratner, and eventually went from cult hit to comedy staple. In his review, Pop Filter Hall of Fame... Ro- Hall of Famer Roger Ebert said, If this movie had been directed by a man, I'd call it sexist. It was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling, and it's sexist all the same. Ah. It, it clunks to a halt now and then for some heartfelt, badly handled material about pregnancy and abortion. I suppose that's Heckerling paying dues to some misconception of the woman's movement. But for the most part, this movie just exploits its performers by trying to walk a tightrope between comedy and sexploitation. Taste Buds, we have seen dozens of teen sex comedies directed by males. Do we agree with Ebert? And what do we think Heckerling brings to the screen that your average male director wouldn't or couldn't have? I've been waiting my entire reviewing career to be able to say this. <laughs> Fuck Roger Ebert. Mike. Feels good, right? It feels so <laughs> good. Do you, here's, uh, I'll whittle down right here why he's wrong. Are there tits? For sure. Do you know what Heckerling does that a male director doesn't? Is She doesn't linger on them. The camera doesn't zoom in on the tits. They are just also there. She also wanted to show Dode, and they wouldn't let her. Uh, she did. I saw it. You saw yeah. Dode? Yeah. Yeah, there's a version with Dode. Maybe I, I looked down. For but yeah, the, the, the scene between- at your own Dode? <laughs> I was just staring at my <laughs> Dode. The scene between Mike and Stacy uh, is supposed to be longer. You see both of them. They both look awkward and nervous. The, the sexuality in this movie is never sexy. Mike. Where your yeah. American You ever been pie, a teenager before? Your porkies, <laughs> all of them are like, it's silly, right? But it's really sexy when you just hide a camera for Shannon Elizabeth. Like, I've all this sex felt real and goofy Mike. and awkward. Greg, one of Ebert's points is that the sex was uh, uncomfortable and awkward. Yeah. Actually, now Mike has taken over that point, but said it in a different way. He's now <laughs> surpassed Roger Ebert on the film critic scale. Yes, um, two thumbs up. Ebert asked, why would they do that to these gorgeous kids? Why don't they uh, shoot it pleasantly and have them have fun? Where's he coming from here? Uh, I, I think that um, he's probably coming from the position of someone who did not have sex in high school. Uh, because it's it you know, it tends to be an awkward experience before you, you get the hang of it. And a lot of these guys, they're not like sticking around to figure out how to get better at it that's the that's the the sleeping around thing that's what's not fun about it when you're not figuring out how to how to have fun together the thing that it makes this more than just like a cheesy sex romp though is that it does have a lot of heart and i think that what he can't accept is that this is a movie that's like hey girls are horny too mm-hmm. and that Greg. that's not anti-feminist to say <laughs> and I think that she does an interesting job, Heckerling, distinguishing between what, like, the cinematic fantasy of sex and nudity is versus the reality. So when we think of, like, the most famous shot of maybe the history of film, Phoebe Cates walking towards the camera and unclasping her top, like, that is filmed in such a filmic, phony way. And then the next time we cut back to her, she's got yeah, water in her ear and she's yeah. like yeah. shaking the hell out of her head. She needs a fucking Q-tip. The and most that's sexy think, thing of all time. That's what I think the whole movie is doing, which is it's, it's creating a break between the fictionalized mm-hmm. world of cinema sex and the real world, which doesn't invalidate the real world. It just renders it the way it really is, which is like, you should be having sex in your 20s because 
like when you're a kid, you're not going to be good at it yet. So <laughs> that's why you yourself, do it as a kid. Give yourself some time <laughs> to learn, and then you'll you'll figure it out. Th- and that, in your twenties, you'll make better decisions, probably, or like uh, decisions that are like more Unless towards you. You won't feel pressure or anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but like, and like he he made a decision that he thinks good that is good for him. But like, I think that's part of what the movie does great is that it does not idolize him, Mm-mm. which I think a, a movie directed by a male might. Yeah. The radio salesman. But it also says that Stacy made a bad decision. Her life changes from here on out, and she will make different decisions. But we're also not going to throw her in character jail in mm. guilt prison for the rest, yeah. of the rest of the movie. And I think that's a weird thing for dudes to watch at the time. Her decision is, oh, I think my older friend might be a little full of shit i'm gonna stop listening to everything she says like it's gospel i like this guy what if i stop trying to fuck him or anybody and just hang out the person i like i'm just gonna do that now and i think that's an ingenious thing is the two like the two characters that ooze sex and that they talk about it nonstop, linda and mike both of them uh with mike we see how bad he is and he was probably a virgin he oozes it and he just wants to like he like that there's the chase and, like, girls stare at him all the time. It's like he has just these pheromones pumping and all girls are looking at him lustfully. But he can't play and he runs away. And he even says, it doesn't matter if a girl comes. And he, you know, lives up to that later. He's Chekhov's like an early pickup piece of artist. Shit. Yes. He wears a weird hat. He kind of nags the all the girls around him. Yeah, he, <laughs> he pours drinks in his bedroom, but they're cream drinks. Like, they're, they're <laughs> like, half bourbon, half cream. Kahlua. Uh, and you know what he is he he thinks that uh he is cool because he also reads the articles of playboy Mm -hmm. and playboy articles of like the stereo systems you should buy are Mm -hmm. also just for full of shit fucking incels who are buying playboy and then linda is she talks about it a lot in a very authoritative way but the way she gives a blowjob on the carrot Made me go. I don't know if this girl's had sex. She's either. pretty clearly a virgin. And then her the boyfriend way she, lives like, in Chicago. Her, Chicago. He can't go to graduation. She's crying. He lasts and for a, like forty-five minutes. That's when Jennifer Jason Lee is at the end when she's reading. It all comes together, and she's like, "Oh, she's so full of shit." Like yeah. this is her slut armor to make people. She. That's what she thinks she needs to do to make people think she's cool. And I think that's sort of the balance that the movie provides is that. I'd, I'm not going to say that Linda and Damone are equally vile, you know, or need to, like, uh, I don't know, equally be, I don't know, punished by the audience. But they are both people who think it's easier to, it's like, they would rather, instead of going and living their lives and experimenting and losing and maybe failing, mm-hmm. uh, find a sidekick to mentor that n- n- they were never asked for. Just, like, I'm going to feed this person full of bullshit so they believe my lies instead of trying to go out there and live my life. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's a choice by Crow, but I also think that's a choice by Heckerling to show the different sides of what those relationships are like. Even though Dude, I swear, I saw that in high same. school. When I was in high school, I saw kids that would fall into this relationship all the time where, like, two kids who are both 15, mm-hmm. one of them is, like, mentoring the other uh-huh. with all this BS about all the world the world weariness they have because of all the <laughs> stuff they've done and it's just like when you were a kid part of what you do sometimes is you just kind of lie and make up stories and i that that i thought was one of the most realistic parts of this is that you have this friend who's like supposed to be so knowledgeable but obviously she's like just 16 like you and her boyfriend in chicago is not a real guy probably <laughs> but see for me it was always like 
lie about, like take down the amount of touchdowns I threw in a game just to like not make the kid feel bad. I don't get yeah. where these two are coming from. Yeah, yeah, like I, th- I only have one girlfriend in Canada instead of like the seven girlfriends in Canada that I really I, have. I don't know if this is on purpose or if this is like, uh, I don't know, looking back on it now. But I also think that has a lot to do with the casting in that the faces are so different. You know, uh, it's classic Hollywood and TV to cast 25 year olds in every high school role. But the difference between what Stacy looks like and Damone looks like, what Rat and Damone look like, what Stacy and Brad look like, I think it's all very much on purpose. Stacy mm-hmm. and Rat look like fucking babies. Especially and when they're everyone in their, else on their looks date. Like, yeah. They're on their on the, adult the date chairs. and they're in the biggest leather chairs <laughs> that grandpa's used to smoke in and they look like babies. <laughs> they both need they both have to help each other to open the menu because these changes so big. <laughs> I, I, a great uh, continuation of the Phoebe Cates boob scene, and then it's like, well, reality is the ear thing. That's not the only reality because it's Brad's sexual fantasy is her walking and just opening her shirt, and then her walking in, I'm jerking off. The most embarrassing thing that anybody can walk in on you doing, and that is reality is her horrified slash laughing at you face. Her face is perfect in yes. that. Like, <laughs> Do you guys hear the background story on that one? Uh-huh. Oh, tell the not. audience, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, he was holding a giant dildo, so that's oh, her yeah. live reaction. <laughs> she probably expected him to not be holding anything resembling a penis at all. And for a second, yeah, you just know that there's one second there where she's like, oh, no, what has <laughs> happened? Let's get to the – going. getting back to Heckerling, the uh, structure of the movie, I think, probably seemed fairly weird, not according to some of the 70s movies that we've done. Mm-hmm. Not according to, like, Nashville, some of the Altman that we've watched. It's more similar to that than really any 80s teen romp that had been around. But it does give way to, I believe, not just John Hughes movies, which that's a little more obvious. They have a little more plot, but not as much as you would think. But Linklater movies. Yes. Where he's like, oh, I want to show coming of age, kids coming of age, but I don't care about plot structure. But in this movie, this middle ground movie between Altman and Linklater, does this work? Does Heckerling do a good job of pushing you as the audience through, even though there's no like game at the end to win? It, I think it works most of every once in a while. I'd be like, I don't know if this works, but by the end of the movie, it all does. Because the one who always, the, for, I've only seen this movie twice, once in high school, and I hated it. And I was like, this sucks. And, really? Uh, once this week. And the biggest, the biggest change of a movie I've ever had uh, oh, wow. is this. And I fucking loved it. And Spicoli used to get under my skin. I thought he was like the fucking woodchuck in Caddyshack. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't dick. make sense. Huh? You dick. And I I think he is delightful. It is a sketch show, and he's the sketchiest of the characters, but by the end, even he has heart, and his scene with Mr. Hand, like, seals it. And the the sketch, the the movie 49, Kentucky Fried moviness of it bothered me less this time because it all feels of a piece everybody's going through similar issues of identity so if it's not plot driven it is theme driven i don't think it bothers me like i don't think that it really it bugs me but i think it holds the movie back a little bit i think it it keeps the movie from engaging as emotionally as it could and so i certainly like i'm not mad at it it's an interesting choice i just think at the end of the day it is too unstructured. And in a way, it makes it harder to reflect on what made the movie really work, which is like the, the looseness of it, I think, is intentional. Ultimately, I just, I don't know that it totally works for me. Right. See, I totally get what you're saying, but 
I think that the issue with it is that, or the like, the issue with the whole process is what you want to do is you want to be like, uh, Stacey Hamilton's freshman year. And everybody's going to be like, what the fuck? No. What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. You know, is she an athlete? Does she win a big race? No. <laughs> it's just Stacey Hamilton's freshman year. And the only way to get that story told, and I think that story is told fairly perfectly, is to surround it with enough stuff to, you know, get, to have every other tone that you need throughout it. Uh, and I... I agree with Mike. Like this is the most I've ever liked it, um, and I think if you because we have Stacy, not just the character on the page, but the performance, um, I think that anchors the entire thing. Like if you look at how much she's going through in every scene, it's more than a high school sports movie. I guess well, it just to me it feels like a, a condensed season of TV or something. Yeah, um, but it only took. 90 minutes to watch yeah i mean it's it's super condensed and everything and again like i i you always run the 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 there's always the danger that you're just the person who likes the movie the least and so then it sounds like you hate it i really enjoy this movie and i think i echo the sentiment that it was my my most favorable viewing of it but i did feel a little lukewarm on it and when i went to attach exactly where those emotions came from because i can't fault any of the performances i can't i don't find the movie like disgusting in any way i actually find it to have a lot of heart and to be very beautiful and to make a lot of really good choices but ultimately i did just i just felt like there was something keeping me from a total unimpeded enjoyment of the movie and i think it's this i do think it's the structure i just you're not saying that you hate it like mike hates et no, I, I, I mean, honestly, I think you could put me on. You could easily put me on a show where I liked it the most. Um, but I, I just, you know, because I've had, there's been a, a couple movies the the last few seasons that I've just been like, this movie's disgusting and I hate it and it shouldn't exist and all this stuff. Um, I and you didn't even feel, watch Sallow. <laughs> I know, honestly. After I watched, um, what was that movie Ryan about co- the the colonialist romp? Um, with uh, Michael Caine and uh, oh, oh yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, like that movie. I was just like <laughs> the man who is... would be king. Yeah, I was like, there's no way Salah was worse than this movie. This is the most <laughs> disgusting thing I've ever seen. But uh, yeah, and then I, I, I was in the other position where I kind of liked that movie, and that was hard. It was just like yeah. <laughs> to be the one to be like, I thought it was fun. Well, actually, though... I thought that was okay that they did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but, been declared yeah. the most racist movie of all time. The, the the movie has so much so much heart and so much um, scenes that are so powerful, but I just think that there is sometimes this very loose tissue connecting them. I agree, Ryan, that it's her that connects them, but that there just seems to be. I feel like the movie just needs more narrative thrust than do ultimately you, it has. Do you think because it is in this limbo between your Altmans and your dude who did American Pie, like, it, okay, it, like we said, Link later, not Link later. <laughs> not the no, American li- Pie, the Whites Brothers. No, then I'd say Link Later and them. Like not not uh, time based, but the kind of movie it is based. And uh, it all it I think it also does it with tone too. I think mm-hmm. that we've talked mostly about how it has ex- like uh, how time has worked or how narrative structure has worked in this. But there are a uh, there are abrupt tonal shifts. Uh, again, I don't know that they are outside the realm of what we experience in life, but there are abrupt uh, abrupt tonal shifts. Sometimes this is a straight up satire in very much the same way that clueless was at times Mm -hmm. like a straight up satire but i just feel like maybe that's one of the areas in which there's just a little bit of friction yeah um we should get to this later the whole tonal thing because it's hard like there's parts i love that are so much that i can't tell like 
when all of the kids smell their fucking hot Xerox copies. The fuck <laughs> was that, that? seems like a different movie, but it's so, so perfect. Or I was thinking like, the yeah, well, you said we're going to get to it, so we, we'll definitely get to it. But I think that the, those two things kind of go hand in hand, which is the, the loose narrative structure and the tonal shifting. and that Almost like it's hot shots. The hot shots of... Uh, or like, Mike said skit show. Like uh-huh. I, th- that's uh, it. Really does feel kind of like a sketch show version of this year, and I don't know what the answer is because I think that this probably captures the feeling of the book very well, and it captures the feeling of a year very well, very well. But there's just when there is that lack of focus, sometimes what you lose with that focus is some of your emotionality towards the film. We're gonna take a break. I'm gonna give Mike one more point because he, he called Spicoli, <laughs> Spicoli, uh, the sketchiest character. And I that know. Means two different things. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. You know what that song means? It's time for Rushmore. Rushmore is typically, if you're driving around the Dakotas, dedicated to presidents. We're not a fan of presidents anymore. Let's do uh-huh. something different. Uh, tonight, we're going to do the hottest. Let's go, Biden. Buffiest, sexiest beef chunks of man me of 1982 <laughs> uh we only have four heads gentlemen so you guys are gonna have to duke Ooh. it out to see who gets on the mountain four points of course um one special winner will go right on the mountain and uh get extra points if you're thinking about exactly what i'm thinking about greg yes you won last week right i did win last you week beat yeah like at et so the Mike, rare win like you're going first Okay, the real win, as I like to call it. Uh, I think you could say it's hot boys, but I like men. We haven't gotten there yet, but how fucking sexy he was with his long shag hair and how thick the brows were. He was ahead of his game. You know I'm going to go straight up with Ricardo Montalban. Eugene Levy. I thought for sure you were going to say Eugene Levy. Second city star. (laughs) I know that Greg is going to think that this is a, I don't know, prank on him or like I'm robbing him of points or some sort of con, but... Mike. Mike. That's the secret one. Ricardo <laughs> Montalban is Whoa. on the mountain. Whoa. Kanza hottie. Man, he's got that his shirt open the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's got the nice like spray tan on. Look, Mike and know, I have famously never seen Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, but you know why we're so excited. It's Ricardo Montalban. It's Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> you know you're sexy if you make your enemies drop to their knees and scream your name. Or if you make all of your enemies be like, right, did you grease your chest? And he's just like, mm-hmm. what grease? Maybe. <laughs> also, finally, wow. giving uh, sexiness to chest hair. I really appreciate that. Just being in my group as far as sexy chest hair to men. Greg, you can't, so, you can't get the bonus anymore. It's, I'm it's so fun. shocked. <laughs> I'm so deeply shocked. Um, I don't know if he's as sexy as Ricardo Montalban, but he was in a movie called Officer and Gentleman. Um, maybe at the height of his sexy sexual powers, Richard Gere. Richard Gere was a sex symbol in two different eras. This was the first one, and he's a fucking classic, guys. He's going right on. Yeah, he's a uh, he does that thing that um a lot of a lot of guys do, where he's got the young version of himself that's sexy, and then an older version of himself that becomes differently silver sexy. fox. Trivago I did the opposite sexy. of that. Sort of, I was like an awkward young man, and then I grew into a different type of awkward old man. <laughs> uh, so it can go both ways. But yeah, he's in. He's got like the. He's in the you know the dress uniform in this. He's carrying folks around. 
82 I, Richard Gere. I remember him one, being one of the few people that like moms would be like, "Woof, mm-hmm. watch out." Yeah. All right, watch that's out. two on Mike. So get ready for this to be in the maybe pile. Uh, I think it's sexiness in a completely different kind of way than these two gentlemen. Sometimes sexy is how you run the room, how confident you are, how you can make people laugh. And also, he had those abs back then because I think he was 20. It's Eddie Murphy. From 48 Hours? From 48 Hours. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we talked about that movie. He was 19 or 20 when it was filmed. Uh, That's impressive besides handsomeness. Also a very good-looking guy. Yeah, and uh, quite a performer. Clever and personality plus in 48 hours. Like if his personality was not part of the equation for that movie, that movie would just have such a funky feel to it. Like such an (laughs) off feel. Yeah. uh, Hard for him to hook up in that movie, but that's probably right for that movie. It should be hard for everyone in that movie to hook up. Yeah. Nobody should have that easy. And then he's a sensitive, gentle lover boy. I like that. (laughs) I can relate. Sexy in its own way. Uh, We'll put him on the side for now. Greg, what do you got? Okay, um, he at this point, I think he had been in one Indiana Jones. Uh, he was in Blade Runner, which we talked about. Um, he's got that sort of like ne'er do well, uh, rebellious, maybe kind of dangerous feel. I'm not totally 100% comfortable with some of the some of the Rick Deckard stuff, uh, but I definitely think that Harrison Ford. Um, was was serving the sort of 80s male sexuality that we're uh, looking for. I have a question. Did Harry yeah, on me. <laughs> Thanks, Bo. <laughs> uh, was this Harrison Ford's era? And counter question, did he ever have an era? Was he just always like on the back burner despite playing all these sexy gents? I, hmm. I think that I think this was definitely his era because this is in the middle of the, the Indiana Jones thing and then... Um, you know, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, Star Wars had, had been around at the time. So, I think this was it. Um, and, and, you know, right off set, he was in low-rise denims just hammering wood. Like, yeah. I think real <laughs> Harrison Ford is probably hotter than all of his characters. Flying around in planes. Yeah. Well, Harrison Ford, part of what makes Harrison Ford the real man so hot is his sort of, like, disdain for Hollywood culture and for fans of Hollywood culture. <laughs> Dude was a carpenter, much like your boy Jesus Christ. Mike, what do you got? <clears throat> you know what I think is sexy? Blood. Violence. Conquering. It's Conan the Barbarian. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger with a big old sword in his hand. Not a lot of clothes This on. is interesting because this is like... Uh, I've never heard a... I, honestly, I'm, and I'm probably wrong here, but I've literally never heard a woman be like, ooh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. We talked but about he, this on the T2 show where he was walking naked through a bar and it was weird that ladies were checking him out because no girl has ever found him sexy. <laughs> yeah, dudes find him sexy because we all wish that we could be big towers of beef that are like mm-hmm. so super strong. But I'm not saying that no women find him attractive. I just I think that he is an aesthetic made for men. He's the power fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, what do you got? Also apparently he's a big creep. Uh Kurt Russell, Ryan. Kurt Russell. Star of nineteen eighty two is the thing. Yeah, dude, Star of 1982 is a thing. Beautiful uh, feathered hair, um, great voice, uh, just just an absolute Pearson smoke show. Okay. And not an evil alien, I don't think. Yeah, we don't know yet. We'll see. Yeah, we're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it might turn out that he is one. Um, speaking of carpenters, 
John Carpenter directed that. So lots of hammer and nails <laughs> all over this segment tonight. Connected. Uh, I've got Eddie Murphy, Harrison Ford, Arnold, and Kurt Russell to deal with right now. Is there anybody else that you guys think could work with those four? Oh, Mike has one. The reason for one. this season, he's so hot, he never wants his shirt on, and he'll even sit in a fast food and argue that he should be able to keep his shirt off. It is, and I think this is the only era he could do this in. It's 1982, Sean Penn. Now, I'm going to put that straight on because of the oh thick, God. thick 82-ness of it. Oh, his hair. Do you not his, find him handsome, Greg? Spicoli? <laughs> No, he's a butterface, but the minute he takes his shirt off, I'm like, yeah, every girl should be on this guy. He right looks now. like a okay. Just <laughs> clean your face on those washboard abs. Oh, Greg, you got one more. Um, I was I was going to say Rob Lowe. Okay, beautiful, beautiful, perfect Rob Lowe. All right, so I have got Eddie Murphy, Harrison Ford, Arnold, Kurt Russell, and Rob Lowe. I'm really trying to think about that 1982 energy. And I think that I'm going to have to go the person who screams 82 at me the most. Probably his only opportunity. A lot of these other gents have other ones, except for Arnold, who has zero other opportunities. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with Eddie Murphy. Is that Mike? Mike. That, That was Mike, yes. All right, your 1982 hot boys that I believe everyone can get behind is Ricardo Montalban, Richard Gere, Spickley, and Eddie Murphy. When we come back, more about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Gentlemen, let's bring Crow, Cameron Crow, that is, into the conversation along with Heckerling. How much does this movie ring true? The dialogue, the relationships, the situations. Are Crow and Heckerling a superstar team along with all of these performances? Or is it ultimately just another teen movie? I think it's more than just another teen movie. It's this not is, another teen movie. <laughs> this is it's a, not, not another teen movie. Movie. I just I go back to just how much heart this movie has, and it, it just seems like a more realistic depiction. In part because it embraces the awkwardness and never tries to counter what? it in any way or or overcome it in any way, and maybe even a way in which it, it it denies the sort of narrative neatness that I was talking about earlier is more of a mirror of real life, you know, with the open-endedness and the non-connectedness of parts of it. So I think that like in terms of like being a movie that actually seems to portray the what the way I remember the teenage experience being, it's head it's head and shoulders above most other movies, except for maybe some of the ones that she has also directed right. in the errors that come after this for capturing the actual voice and actual feel of teenagers. She's her own worst enemy. Mike, you are probably the person who has seen the most amount of these movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you like this movie now because so many of your favorite movies fucking pale in comparison to this movie. Sure. I, I know that Can't Hardly Wait <laughs> and Empire Records are legendary in your mind. Ryan, but get over it. Don't forget about get over it. Don't forget don't forget about get over it. Um Whatever don't forget about takes. let's not forget. Don't forget about you should stop thinking about that. All these classic <laughs> movies. Um when you see two characters, say Linda and Stacy, or really pick any two, does do their conversations seem more realistic than your average can't hardly wait or get over it? Yeah, it is Yes, they are still like elevated, but they're not so elevated that it's like uh, not Laura Prepon. Laura, I forget, I forget her name. Can't hardly wait. That the redhead and can't hardly wait. She talks in such a way that it's like, oh, you went to three graduate schools to get your English degree, and now you're talking like you're 15 years old. The Kevin Smith of it all. The Kevin Smith of it all. This is the step towards that in a good way because we're in a movie, right? 
right? So I don't want to hear right. fucking farts and chuds talk about their chuds and farts, which is what real teenagers are like. Oh, but I fucking dare you guys to go hang out in a high school class and listen to the, how they actually talk. Uh, Stop yeah, fortnighting uh, all over the place. Honestly, when I was a freshman in high school, in my science class, I sat in front of two girls, and I didn't have anyone to talk to because I didn't have any friends. So I would overhear what they were talking about, and I swear they had the exact kind of, kind of conversations that Phoebe Cates and Jennifer Jason Lee have. And in the sa- I remember being a kid and feeling like the one who was saying to the other one, like, you just have to have sex. Sex is the best. Mm. Sex is great. I remember being a kid and thinking like, have you actually had sex? <laughs> Fuck like, you. You're full just, of shit. There's just something about you that it seems like, because I guess because everybody's 16, and so I'm like, right, are, are, we're children. Are, <laughs> yeah, like, are, is this really going on? And like, so when I hear those conversations in the movie, it, I mean, I feel like I have my, I do have my own experience that is so much like that. I mean, is it, Mike? Is it too, uh, I don't know, big of a leap to say that when you first saw this, you were dumb like them? And now yeah. that you watch it, you can see how dumb they are. But, but that that could be part of it. it. Also, I remember going and expecting a comedy as gold as whatever it takes or can't hardly wait. And <laughs> this just like more laughs than one of those classic movies. And this just bummed me out. Like uh-huh. I was like, this is dark. What the fuck is this shit? And then now, eighty five years removed, I'm like, it is very funny and it's dark and it's not as dark as I remembered it being because now I expect it and stuff it maybe I didn't for- think was funny is and. It doesn't go for nonstop laughs, but Mm-mm. when it does go for a laugh, it achieves it, and usually it's pretty funny. <laughs> Fucking, uh, what's non-sexy James Spader's name? Damone? Bradley. Brad. Brad, uh, in the mirror for the 80th time in the movie, trying to talk himself into breaking yeah. up with his <laughs> loving girlfriend, and it just says, like, you hairy fucking pussy, <laughs> yeah. and he's trying to just toughen himself up and be a man. It, it's just very funny. I think it is. It's like there's just subtly... Funny stuff. He's that like, if you're I'm a, dumb a successful team. single yeah. t- dude. You're, you're like, you're none a, of those things. You're not even a senior in high school yet. That's what does it, it need to be successful? I don't know what other opportunity we're gonna have to talk about Brad, who grew up to be Judge Reinhold. Oh yeah, that's dude. his name. Thank you. Um, my wife and I got into an argument. when We were watching this movie, and I don't know if it's because I'm bad at watching movies. She's bad, and you guys can definitely say that she's bad at watching movies because she's not giving you points tonight, <laughs> uh, or if it's just from like when we started watching this movie. But is Brad cool? Was Brad cool? It, what is this movie trying to get you to think about Brad? I, I think to the last segment to this segment, what makes this movie great is the Brad of it all. In another movie, Brad just would be the star of the movie. And he's not. Instead, his little sister is. Brad, and it's he has heroic moments. He's mostly douchey, shitty moments. But is he a good older brother? Yes. Yes, he is. Like, oh, yeah. But no, he is, is he cool, he, though? Is he cool no. to the school? Oh, he's, oh the, the school fucking loves him for some reason. Everybody just says, hi, Brad. No. Or is that just in his head? Do you know why no, the school, no. you, how you can tell the school loves him? At one point, he gives somebody a windmill high five while walking through yeah. a parking lot. That, mm-hmm. That's that's cinematic that's cool language, right fuck. there. Okay, like let's look at the facts. He is tall. Mm-hmm. Fact. He uh, this and is an tall environment is equal to handsome. For whatever reason, I guess because it's the '80s, this is an environment where like where you work matters to kids, he and works he works at, at like the best food place. Restaurant. And he appears to be some sort of like manager or assistant manager there, which speaks to to his success. Yeah, I can get you a job. He already <laughs> has a girlfriend, which is like weird currency when you're in high school for like getting other cool things it's like wait do you already have a girlfriend but i think the movie reveals how he is like deeply uncool and how you can be inside that experience and be a cool person and then constantly just humiliate and dunk on yourself and well what what about this 
what about the move? What about Brad as a sequel to Ferris Bueller? How Ferris Bueller in your junior year or the beginning of your senior year? You're the coolest kid ever, and that was Brad. And now we get to see the last quarter of your senior year and going into real life, and how fucking high school coolness doesn't matter. Does that reflect? Brad? I guess, but they're Ferris would never grow up to be Brad. Maybe Cameron would, but Ferris would never be like. Do you know what school is? My job. <laughs> I think he would sure for sure grow up to be somebody who wasn't very successful. I mean, isn't he like kind of he's like peaks in high school guy. He's known for having yeah. like the best burger flipping job. And, and right. he, and he dates a girl that. there. Yeah. Like he's well on his way, I think, to being kind of a, a mess of an older man who constantly looks back and was like, I had it all. You know what I kept thinking of? I kept thinking like he turns into Kevin Spacey in American Beauty. Oh, no. And because <laughs> w- American Beauty, the mo- the time he's looking back to is flipping burgers driving around in his car like having Whoa. a girlfriend this is the this exact movie i think is what kevin spacey's character is thinking about in that but see part of the reason why i love this movie is because brad's moment of throwing the the pirate hat and uh-huh. eating the disgusting fish in there and then throwing the rest <laughs> out that's first of all it's perfect setting of stakes we know how big of a deal that is for brad to do Although the three of us would do it no matter what. We, sh- we throw mm-hmm. fucking fish and chips out our car window all the time. Every day. I buy them just to throw them out. But, and I think that like, he's, that's his growth moment. And I do think that like, that sort of says that I now realize what is stupid and what isn't about my present mm. and my past. I th- b- before that moment, if that is that moment, because I don't know if all the, all the characters get that like now I've grown, it's anybody in high school who gives advice gets a comeuppance or shown to be an ass clown. <laughs> yeah. All the people who are like, I don't know what the fuck's going on is fine a normal person. So I think if the movie had, if you had to say it has one thesis, it's that is if you're a child, don't tell other kids how the fucking world works. And, you and know ab- what this at, at about like the hour mark, both Rat and Stacy are both look at their mentees mentors and they're like uh-huh. this guy's a douche fuck this person dude and the if, world does that to brad if this were a modern movie a lot of these kids would have like youtube channels and they would be dispensing advice constantly uh-huh. about like how to fit in and how to be popular and it'd be the same thing like just shut up dude you don't know anything mike you know that book uh that you always talk about the year of living biblically yes what it, i do talk about that a lot do you think a book the year of living youtubically and just only going by the advice of youtube uh all right all we need is 20 patrons, and Mike starts the year of living YouTubically, <laughs> and I'll write about it. And you know what? I'll even YouTube it. Uh, Control a year of Mike's life. Speaking I've of, been trying to make that happen for fucking 30 years. <laughs> Seriously. I know, I've been doing it. When you started talking about how, like, fuck your mentors, I started, fuck the kids that are older than you that keep telling you what to do. I started sweating a little bit. I was going to realize. Speaking of the pirate restaurant, this movie starts, ends, and spends a ton of time in malls, fast food places, and other jobs for teens. So it's definitely a movie about teenage employment, but... To what end? Does this th- is this a part that strikes out as like weirdly eighty two? And w- what is it about this movie that like keeps giving us these kids at jobs? Well, uh, back then kids knew they had a bootstrap, and if they wanted a car, earn a fucking paycheck. And these days, kids just get it from their parents or their YouTube subscribers. You're gonna make the best grandpa <laughs> in the seventies. Yeah, I mean, uh, like it does. I think harken back to a time where being a kid with a job gave you an awful lot of freedom mm-hmm. and our our parents and parents of the the generation right before and uh, of our generation you still got a lot more freedom and there was because of that there was also more responsibility and so these well, kids really great freedom 
they, these kids really do like love it and, and think about their jobs an awful lot. But I think that that honestly within the movie is more right. of a mirror of 80s culture than it is of actual like teen culture. I could not imagine one teen walking up to another and being like, I hate the way they're they're doing things over at my burger place. I want to work for your burger place. Like, have work. you seen a teenager at their job? They're just like staring off into space. Yeah, you're lucky. Trying to get... not get caught smoking pot. They're yeah. recording their YouTube videos about what an influencer they are. Gucci, while... could I please get my burger over here, man? <laughs> well, that's I. I'm so fascinated. Is there even such a thing as teen culture, or when teens were invented in the 40s? is every 15 years, is it a completely different kind of culture? Because in the 60s, they don't hang out with the soda jerks anymore, and like then they don't hang out the with the Steven fucking... soda like, jerks. Does it just always evolve to the point, like, now teens hanging out, IRL, that's fucking weird. Why would you ever go meet your friends in a parking lot or at their job? I'm going to just Snapchat them all night. I think that's Mike. such a good point. Uh, like, in the history of teenagers, which, as Mike pointed out, is not that... Like the age has always been around. You didn't just go from ten to twenty. Yeah, but no, you worked like, in a factory for like seven years by the time you were a teenager. Yeah. But December's wrote a lot of songs about eighteen hundreds teenagers. <laughs> we only have pop culture to go with about how teenagers worked. And teenagers like even in this movie that was written by a teenager while he watched teenagers be teenagers, there's still always the this feeling of this is half what teenagers are like and this is half what thirty year olds think teenagers are like. <laughs> and so many of them have to have a job because that's what they think teenagers need to have. I, uh, I remember talking when I was 19, 20, 21, 22 about having to be at work. Like when I was a kid in high school, there was one kid who had a job and it was in a coal mine and he was poor as fuck. Everybody else was just lounging. Hi, my name is Mike. <laughs> oh, this is him, <laughs> by the way. Does anybody want some coal? I have a little bit left over in my lungs. All these fucking environmentalists started early screaming at me. <laughs> I mean, when I was in high school, like I worked at like KB Toys, but I couldn't imagine that's dope. I couldn't imagine taking anything other than just like the paycheck from that. Like, I liked to hang out with my friends behind right. the counter and chat with them. But like, I, I I guess you know part of it is when you are that age, it's not the just the freedom of having the job. When you go to the job, you are there, and it's like a whole little business run by children, basically. Mm-hmm. Like we, when I worked at <laughs> Which KB, how Toy Store should work. <laughs> yeah, like the the manager at KB was like twenty years old, right. and he was the oldest the person I had ever personally encountered. I couldn't believe how old somebody was that they could be more than a teenager. And then everybody else was just like fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, and we ran a little store, and like that's <laughs> the most freedom we ever had in our lives, and we abused that like the hell out of it. Uh, but as I think- you should. Go ahead, Mike. I, I think being it's it is a freedom, and you abuse it, and that's how you learn. Like you can steal this much from the till, don't steal that much. Uh, but also steal your stock, p- don't steal any money. Yeah. Just well, like, steal stocks the, the, on that stuff. shit. You take one toy, you put one toy in the trash. It all evens up. <laughs> Dude, <it's, laughs> we're be doubling our losses. Uh, but it, it's you, you have the freedom, so you can also like you know go out after, and your parents are like, oh, they still work. But you're there's no real adults. You like you said, Greg, the, your parents aren't around, your teachers aren't around. Maybe your normal friends aren't around. So you're carving out for the first time who you actually might be yeah. away from all these links that think they know who you are. That is true. But in addition to that, I also think that this is the thing that relates the Hamiltons to each other the most is that they had put all of their uh, like hopes and like feeling of worth into one thing for Stacy boys for a Brad job. And then over the course of one year, we see that like, that's not true. There is more to oh, life yeah. than what we were just putting that into. What does uh, he diversify. think is going to come out of this job? I don't like, why is he so committed to I, it? I think he's just a go-getter, and I think that's a fine attitude to have, but you have to realize, man, you're a fucking senior going to college. 
But I, I think it's and, also then when college mattered less, it was the 80s, you'd be like, I was an assistant manager in high school, and some guy's like, run my car dealership. And then you could be like, I was 22 running a car dealership, somebody's going to be like, run my oil refinery. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> Become my president. Uh, <laughs> and then I also think that that's, you know, like, all great movies are the two romantic leads coming together. I think that's what happens with Spicoli and Brad at the end. I cannot, this, no, no podcast about Fast Times has ever talked about Spicoli less than we have, but... Brad and Sp- Spicoli coming together at the end to sort of uh-huh. like we have both reached this thing where we're both together and what we think about life is, I think, a major part of the movie. And you know, Spicoli's grown a little bit and Brad has realized, fuck this shit. Yeah. And that's a <laughs> different, different kind of growth. Also, talk about the Kevin Smith at all uh, being a big clerk's head as a kid did not connect that. It was like, oh, the end of clerks is just the end of fucking Fast Times <laughs> yeah. Original yeah. High. The end of most movies uh from this period on are like have these just like dance numbers that kind of see us out of yeah. the the movie and then there's another end to this ending but we'll get to that later when we go to awards we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back the hey five. guys thank you so much for listening so far and let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it that's my guarantee while i have you here let me tell you about a website it's called yourpopfilter.com and it's everything you need that's related to pop filter everything mike everything ryan everything greg everything cassie everything is there at yourpopfilter.com while you're there go to yourpopfilter.com slash amazon make that your new amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there that way we get a little piece of the action and amazon doesn't make sure you're also listening to everything that pop filter has to offer which includes the superhero show show a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property. And Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Bye! It's time for the five. Every season, we take a look at five archetypes of the cinematic and literary world and talk about who would be best suited if this art type was performed in 1982. Hell, some of them were performed in 1982, but we're going to do it a step better by putting stars in there. People like stars more than character actors. Uh, we're going to start with Danny Ocean, Greg. Who is Danny okay. Ocean to you? To me, Danny Ocean is the man that always has a plan. He's quick-talking, he's charming, and he's very handsome. Uh, he can get the job done, and he sees everything coming, and he has a, a contingency for when when that comes. Could there be uh, a less attractive Danny Ocean? Could there be a less attractive? Not Danny less than Ocean? George Clooney. I just mean like, could there be an unattractive Danny Ocean? No, I don't think so because it's that that's part of what help helps him beguile everybody, and you never see him coming because you're sort of like off put by his charm and his handsomeness. And we know this man is handsome because he was just put up on Uh-oh. the Mount Rushmore of handsome <laughs> folks. My Danny Ocean for 1982 is Eddie Murphy. Wow. Who was uh, uh, not the Danny Ocean of Tower Heist, but was in that Ocean's Eleven-like movie. Well, there you go. There you go. That Danny Ocean always has a plan, was he not? Can talk his way out of any situation, you know, doesn't need the gun, but if he's got the badge, then he, he can make it work. Um, appears strong when he's weak, appears weak when he's strong. Very clever. Mike, would you agree with Greg in that Danny Ocean is always making waves? Yes. <laughs> I would agree with Greg saying that. And Greg said a lot, me. so I don't know what else I can say about <laughs> Danny Ocean. Uh, he's very good at getting the band together. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm... Uh, 
and also Rick I think it's ditto. important too that like they they said to themselves at some point, I will never fucking work with this person again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they say Commander, no. And that's why mine is Captain James T. Kirk. William Shatner? William ah. Shatner. I'm sorry, of In- the film Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? Yep. He's our Danny Ocean. He's got a case of the Shats. <laughs> I want to make it clear that Greg said an actor, but Mike said a character, right? That's fine, right? No, no, it's fine. I, think- I just want to make it clear that Greg is not talking about... Um, the character from 48 Hours, and Mike is not talking about William Shatner. Correct. Okay. <laughs> well, that being said, Mike, you picked somebody from Star Trek, so our Danny Ocean is Eddie Murphy. The last time I picked somebody from Star Trek, it really worked out. Oh, you got it. It worked out really that. well. It's such Man, a weird I'm still game so surprised. By now I'm staring at the rest of my Star Trek list and <laughs> freaking out. Whoa. <laughs> Mike, uh, who is Scout to you, and what Star Trek character would play Scout? I think Scout is... Uh, you know, is naive, but has a heart of gold, is going to make some mistakes, is going to say some weird shit, but often will go against the rest of society to do what is right and, and sees the truth of the matter more than other people, and she'll get kicked in the mud for it and be fine. I mean, when you look at your Mike's favorite movies, the Amblin yes. movies, the E.T., the Goonies, the Monster Squads, aren't these just teams of scouts? They're all just a bunch of little... Maybe a gem scouts. or two, but mostly scouts, right? Yes. All right, who's and your scout for 1982? Why, my scout is, and remember that he is only four years old here, it's Roy Batty. He <laughs> sees the truth of society and fights the weight of the world to do what is right. Do you dream, first of all, of electric sheep, and second of I all, do. of Atticus Finch reading bedtime stories to Ro- Roy Batty all curled up in bed? I do, and that's what makes me go full-on Judge Reinhold in the bathroom. I'm glad we got a new term. All right, Roy Batty is for Mike. Greg, who's your scout? Scout is a precocious girl child trying to make her way uh, through a world that has completely lost sense and does it maybe with the guidance of an older male but does not have the full weight of, like, parental guidance. She has Cal. And And that reminds me of Annie from the hit show. Annie, little this orphan Annie, come out. little orphan Annie, trying to make her way in the world today, and it's taking everything she's got. <laughs> All right, so Annie, <laughs> the lead singer of the song from Cheers, and <laughs> Roy Batty from Blade Runner. Yes, this is quite the pickle. Uh, but I'm gonna give it to the person who picks the ginger. It's going to Greg. A scattered ginger. Uh, Greg, have you ever heard of a character named Yoda? I have heard of a character named Yoda. His name means warrior in in Yiddish, and that's a, that's something I know. But who is Yoda? Who is the uh, Yoda? More than anything else, is a, a weird little being with understanding of the world and its spiritual angle and what else is really out there, which is a force. Um, and then that force has a will, and that we have to sort of understand it. Who else tells us this? Uh, Tagina, Tagina. I don't know how you say her name. Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist. <laughs> who? It's not Tagina. Let's let's agree on that. Tagina. <laughs> I honestly don't know how you say her name, but she's a an odd little lady uh, who knows about ghost force and uh, tells the family basically everything they need to know to understand what's going on with the Poltergeist. She's very a movie short. I have not seen. She she's pretty short. She's pretty short, and she's 
honestly, her head looks a lot like Yoda's head. Like they've got they've got very similar builds, sparse um, hair. And, and she actually talks about the Force, but she means like the Force of of evil spirits. But I think it's much the same thing. I also love the attitude of both of them. Like you know, it's just the mentor character, but also this specific mentor Greg that you're hitting on is like, oh, uh, you guys are in danger. Fuck you, man. We don't care. Okay, fine. Your funeral. Like I'll just Later. walk away then. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'll talk to you guys when you're dead. <laughs> well, any, I any have that good power. mentor and teacher knows you can't slam your students' heads into it. You got to give them what they are. They're gonna trip and fall on their face. Maybe die a little, and then they'll learn. And also, both <laughs> make this noise. <laughs> I mean, I, why do you ever give Zelda Rubenstein a character's name in a movie when her real name is that? Just call her. It's gonna be better. Mike, She's what do you got? got? She's got you covered. Yeah, it's 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 short. It's weird looking. It's mentor. It's full of wisdom. Nobody <laughs> wants to listen to. It's the world weary. I've been there before, but I talk in such a funny way. Nobody's gonna listen to me. Uh, in 1982, I can't think of anybody who does that more than Frenchie in Greece too. Okay. She tries to Mike. teach all the young pink ladies and young T birds right. the right way to be in the world, Mike, and they just you won't doing, listen. Mark? You're sacrificing so much of your advantage. <laughs> I'm going to let everybody know there was a version of this where everybody was a character from Grease 2. And I said, don't do that, Mike. The world's oh, but at not least that we got dark. the one. Well, this one, I mean it. I think she's so Yoda. Who played Frenchie? Was it Stalker uh, Channing? Was she back? No, it wasn't Stalker Channing. It was uh, the gal from Shining Time Station. Oh. She was in Grease 1 as well. She's the one who dyed her hair pink. That's Frenchie, of course. Right. Um, she I'll actually plays Frenchie in the first one, right? Isn't she one of the few people to cross over to the second movie? It's her... Uh, the nerd Eugene and the teachers are the only people who are back. <laughs> Hello, I'm the nerd Eugene. Uh, Mike, thank yeah. you for only giving us one Grease 2 response on this. Uh, Willy Wonka, what does that uh, archetype mean to you? It's whimsical, out of step with the world, but you realize they get it more than anybody else does. Uh Hangs out with kids a lot, leads them into danger, but doesn't like it. It's for the kids on good. They'll learn, right? But I was, Mike, I was a little nervous th- to have Yoda and Willy Wonka in the same one. What are the differences there? Because it's not just mentor, right? I think it's not just meant that there's more danger to Willy than Yoda. There's definitely height to Willy. Uh, I think Yoda wants so badly to be a mentor, and Willy Wonka kind of falls into it. They both have a cane. They, they do both have a cane. Okay, just specifically saying. ask for differences, but thank you. <laughs> Shit. Um, yeah, and like I like this idea of you know what it's not my point. Like, who do you got for Willy Wonka? It is E.T. the Pied Piper of it all. Why? Well, all the reasons said he leads kids astray. He's also very into candy. He's weird. He, he, people <laughs> are scared of him. At, people are scared of him at first, but then they're like, actually, this guy's got it right. Every he time gives you people shine- a gift, they don't understand at first. Every time you shine Every a light on Willy steps, Wonka, he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime he takes two steps forward, he just falls down. Yeah. Uh, dresses like a hot-ass babe. All right, E.T. <laughs> is Mike's Willy Wonka. Greg. I, I think part of what uh, Mike was missing there is I think you Son have of a to bitch. have once had the love and soul and whimsy of a child, but now that has been taken from you, but you you try to get it back, right? Because E.T. So continues me, to have that? For me, it's... It's Keys from E.T., Peter Coyote, um, because he is the one who has a kid. He's like Elliot, and he dreams, but then he gets pulled into this system that kind of like, he loses that. But when he finds E.T. and he finds Elliot, he finds that again. And then he and Elliot form this like cross-generational bridge of this still having whimsical love 
And then that is like, and he sort of transfers that keys, sort of transfers that onto Elliot in the same way that Willy Wonka transfers like the factory onto Charlie. That is interesting. But what I was sort of going for with Willy Wonka is uh, sort of like a mortal god, like brings him into a world that he themselves created. Like Dr. Eldon Terrell? Yes. Or E.T. <laughs> Mike. And it, Didi Khan was Frenchy. But see, E.T. See, the reason E.T. doesn't seem to work for, I don't think works, is because he's as lost as the kids. He's like out of place himself. Still whereas, changes that world into his world faster than anybody else. And Willy could. Wonka's not, not lost. <laughs> That's true. He calls himself yeah. Willy Wonka. All right, Greg, tell me what uh, Miranda Priestly means. So uh, Miranda Priestly is from The Devil Wears Prada. And so I guess what I took from her is um, sort of uh, what what culture has labeled like an unlikable woman, um, uh, CEO, manager, um, and then all the things that we probably like prize in a, a male leader we find distasteful in her. But then also, I can't think about Miranda Priestly without also thinking about this second part of her character, which is like her home life where she is deeply unhappy and where she is like um, not as free um, and not as independent and sort of seems to be under the thumb of her her husband. So I I, that duality there, which is like her unlikable, high powered woman persona, which even her unlikability is like a little suspect. And then that wasn't Stanley Tucci, was it? Am I just thinking of Julie and Julia? Uh, he's in it, but he's not her husband. He is her... Like designer? Designer, yeah. Right. Okay. The Tooch. So who is um, who's an unlikable woman of, of 1982? Margaret Thatcher, uh, who also, <laughs> um, in her, if, the, if the crown is to be believed, um, had like sort of like... She went home from a day of being the prime minister and doing, frankly, let's say it, evil, um, being bad. Uh, and then she would go home and like cook up dinner for her family while they waited <laughs> waited for her to like be done with dinner. And so still at her, she was still like sort of the domestic. Um, she domestic was still in charge of domestic duties, even though she was herself the Iron Lady. God, that's so fucking weird. It's just like, oh wait, wait, a different Meryl Streep character. That's gonna give you some <laughs> points. Uh, just thinking about Doctor Doom coming home and being like, all right, is breakfast for dinner okay? That's what I'm in the mood for, <laughs> Mike. Who's your Miranda yeah. Priestley? I think Miranda Priestley, uh, you know, aggro boss, uh, real direct, rubs people the wrong way, but they respect it because she gets the job done. And then by the end, you see she does care about her protege, and that's why mine is Nick Nolte from 48 <laughs> Hours. <laughs> and Mike, before we started recording, you were regaling us with all of your uh, impression talent. So can we hear Nick Nolte do some lines from The Devil Wears Prada? Get get me Armani on the phone. That's that's all I need. Where's Versace? I want two. Get me two Armani. Get me two. Just one. I want two. <laughs> I gotta give this to Mike because uh, blonde, and True. Uh, I think terrible, icy, unemotion, like no emotionless asshole. But maybe, maybe someday you might find that heart of gold if you dig deep enough. Whereas I don't. You know don't if that's think the you can find the heart Thatcher. of gold in Margaret Thatcher, Ryan? <laughs> I'm not sure. No, you don't think heartless. you can find that? Because of all the bad stuff she did. Yeah. Is that right? Des- okay, despite yeah. going home and making her children dinner, which you know she didn't <laughs> want to do. Uh, she probably tried to make a law where you didn't have to cook children dinner. Maybe uh, if one of those kids learned how to cook, she'd fucking enforce less disgusting laws in the UK. Who's hotter, Miranda Priestley or Jason Priestley? Miranda. Greg? 
hotter, Miranda Priestley or Jason Priestley? Um, I guess yeah, Miranda Priestley. Yeah, I just don't believe Jason Priestley will step on my nuts the way I want him to. <laughs> oh, Ryan. that's all for me on that one. <laughs> that's everything I needed from the end of a segment. When we come back, more about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them move. Gentlemen. Is this the most 80s movie of all time or the most timeless? Can you be both? I think it's definitely the most 80s movie of all time. It takes place in a mall. Uh, the fashions are totally 80s. The movie's approach to nudity totally. is like the most 80s thing about it. Like, it just there does not have to be nudity in this movie. You could can find you imagine, so many ways around it. Can you imagine titties in Stranger Things? That's what this movie is like. Yeah, the Stranger Things Gordon came back have that. a nine and a half. <laughs> I mean, and uh, that was just a mark of the time. Like, if you were making a movie in the 80s, it had to be, like, G-rated for you not to throw in some boob action in there. <laughs> it was basically expected. Does Mike, that feel like a healthier attitude to sex versus the very sanitized Hollywood we have these days that seems scared of any sort of sex where people freaked out over the four second eternals one man wasn't lying on top of a woman <laughs> man karina longworth is going through the erotic 80s right yes. now 12 episodes and you maybe you wouldn't think of the 80s as being erotic maybe more exploitative but it was just horny people going to see horny movies that gave them what they wanted like it didn't have to be porn it was just like adults being like sex right yeah <laughs> yeah and I, I i i would say that the it doesn't feel so super overly exploitative in this movie. It does feel very naturalistic, except for the most iconic. I mean, does Hector Lane have her cake purpose. and eat it too because of how she creates the fantasy of Phoebe Cates but still has to still yes. get Phoebe Cates? I mean, she told Phoebe Cates, like, this is not going to be a big deal. Don't worry. It's going to be over. It's going to be one second of the movie. And there's no world in which it's just one second of the movie. It's like one of the biggest shots in film history. But and so I. Like, this is pre VHS. I don't know if she fucking could know that was going to happen. I mean, the legend is that all VHS yeah. stores, rentals right. at that time, like, every, every that scene was blurry because there was no internet porn. So you just rewound until you were done. But I do, Be I do think that it is a little bit like having your cake and eating it too. Like, because it's. She is. In that scene, she's making a comment about, like weirdly hypersexualized, completely unreal, like beer commercial mm -hmm. ladies, basically. And at the same time, she is actively creating the fantasy while sort of lampooning it. But and I don't know if you work. cannot make the fantasy without you can't lampoon the fantasy without making it cinematically. You can yeah, if when she opens up her top instead of her boobs, it's headlights that are coming it's right headlights. towards her. Dumb, yeah, dumber dude. reference. There we go. <laughs> it would just be a lot more toothless. Uh and dumb and dumber a lot of things. No teeth. Yeah, and <laughs> what what uh, what didn't become as iconic is Brad. If you go by my theory, the former Ferris Bueller getting totally walked in on on the toilet and being embarrassed. You know that part isn't included in the icon like the iconicness of the scene because you can't. The artist can't control what people will do with their art. It's clear that in Heckerling's head, these two things are equal, and then 
Except though, I did also read that the blowjob scene that was in the cafeteria originally they were going to both be naked in a hot tub, and they couldn't <laughs> clear that. I, one of the producers said, "Can we just film that anyway and not put it in the movie?" Gross. I read that there was a uh, the producer had a real problem with that scene, and Heckman was like, "Oh, we're gonna have to cut it." And he said, "Reshoot it. They should be sucking those carrots way sexier than they actually are." <laughs> so he didn't get the point of the movie. What do you mean he? You don't? I didn't say it was a boy. Who knows? That's it a producer, Ryan, in the eighties. Also, that said that about the sexiness of sucking yeah. carrots, that's probably going to be a dude. But all everything we've said about this, these all are stories that feel like they would only come out about 1980s cinema. Mm-hmm. Like there's, So it, it just reinforces the overall 1980-ness of it all. Yeah, I, but I like, think the, the, if we're to, to Devil's Advocate, which came out in the 90s, uh, the point. timelessness of it is the kids, what they're going through and how what's false versus what's not false and how you have to find your own truth like that is, that is going to be every generation growing up i totally agree and to go against you know what we were talking about about roger Eber- what roger ebert said it wasn't sexy enough like stacy trying to find that light in the baseball dugout just to have something to focus on that's that's pretty timeless you know that light did not have a mohawk and was singing pat benatar <laughs> that's like though the, so there's there's the, again the the themes are timeless the the set dressings are 80s because there are the four Pat Benatar characters <laughs> yeah. I think is what we're highlighting here is that these are not oppositional forces within right, the movie right. and that's part of like what the thrust of the show right is that you can get something that is totally emblematic of the year which it comes from but for it to be elevated to movie of the year status it has to also be timeless and that's a way in which this movie is very much in consideration for movie of the year because it does achieve both of those things it, it, yeah it's working with both hands it's so wild that the spicoli character would be right. one i'm sorry spicoli you'd be able to look at him and be like well that's just 82 but then he is james franco and pineapple express <laughs> he is and not just because stranger things in the 80s but the long-haired kid who always plays the same character he also played that character in american vandal he also played that character in Booksmart. like this long-haired stony dude is just is also very timeless i mean and i've the, heard that there's no the dude without spicoli I could see that. Just that, you know, like when did when did we all when did as a nation we knew what the Valley Voice, this one Mm -hmm. tiny county, you know, that's uh, adjacent to Los Angeles, we all knew how they talked. That was because of him. That's just like your opinion, man. (laughs) We've already hit on this, but I want to get to it one last time after everything we said. Uh, Is this movie a lot more meta and self-aware than it is remembered for? And based on the whole, is it 80s, is it timeless? Now, looking at this movie in 2022, what actually is it remembered for? I think that it's definitely way more meta than it is remembered Mm -hmm. for. That it is as much a commentary on movies about this age group as it is a a great version of it. It feels to me like it is remembered as a kind of raunchy sex romp. And I think that that's why it's watching it is kind of jarring. Because Mm -hmm. that public perception is just like... It's not borne out, except for this one part that is making a comment on, really, that right. those types of movies. And yet, somehow, I think that, like, Spicoli and uh, Phoebe Cates taking off her top are all that remain in the consciousness for most people about this well, movie. people are dumb. And, and people are dumb. And in this <laughs> regard, they're exceptionally you dumb. You can only give so much. This movie has so much more to offer, including mm-hmm. a meta-commentary about high school movies that many of which hadn't even come out yet like this is satirizing yes, movies that thing. were going to come out 10 years yes yeah, it's, it's, it's the tristram shandy of high school movies <laughs> yeah it can't be remembered as a meta commentary if none of the movies came out yet 
Uh, before we get out of here, I want to. Uh, we talked about jokes that don't fit. I want to talk about two that very much did. Um, my wife is a teacher. I've, you know, I was in high school. Um, there's two jokes that I really want to go over. Uh, Spickly getting dressed out by Mr. Hand right when they met, and he just turns his head, ignoring him, and says, hey, I know that, dude. Yeah. That's yeah. the most high school thing that I've ever <laughs> seen in a movie. And you know what guy he's referring to, because that guy's like, hey, this guy's been stoned since third grade. You know <laughs> yeah. it's that guy. And the other one is a uh, freaky-looking guy from Ghost, who teaches Patrick Swayze how to touch. Oh, is he the pizza delivery man? No. He's also in Last Boy Scout? The oh, pizza okay. delivery man is, of course, uh, Taylor Negron, the villain from The Last Boy Scout. Thank you, Mike, for uh, Mike. bringing up The Last Boy Scout. Uh, but no, the guy who takes them to the morgue. Uh, oh, yeah. Var- oh, yeah. Dr. Mr. I, Vargas. Mr. Vargas. I love high school movies. They have a monkey in a cage in the classroom. Mm-hmm. This, but The budget's on these. They go uh, to a morgue r- and they r- like- read about it. He was based on a real teacher that Cameron Crowe had who would do this shit. Right. Take students to a morgue? Yeah, he was a nut. Everything you need to know about teaching high school is in one line where he walks into the class and says, uh, man, I'm drinking caffeine. Guess I better switch to Sanka. And then like sort of shrugs and smiles. And you could you can see him, feel him expecting the entire class to <laughs> uproariously laugh and he gets <laughs> nothing. And what that is, is what teaching is. Decaf coffee. Oh. Yeah, this weird uh, 80s thing. If... I don't know if this is the time for this. I just don't know where. One of my favorite jokes, if we're doing that, it feels very high school because the kids, uh, when Spicoli is hanging out with the footballster's little brother, little brother is nervous about being around an older guy and goes, Bo Derek's tits? I like sex. I like sex, when dude. <laughs> when he says I like sex, that's one of the funniest lines. I mean, I like, I just, that's, see, that's a, met, that's a very meta line to me. Like, yes. He, that, that's like what characters are always saying in throwaway scene to some variation of I like sex. And he's like 12. And it's, it's like, you don't know funny. what sex is, dude. <laughs> You've no heard idea. the word sex. You probably looked up sex in the encyclopedia, but other than that, you have no idea. Speed round. All right, gentlemen, you do not have to say your name to answer Mike. these. What yeah. character do you find yourself being bummed when it's on them? Who do you miss when they're gone? I miss uh, Jennifer Jason Lee when, when she's not on the screen because I just feel like She's so present and so believable as uh, a young person trying to figure out the world. So I would definitely say that um, I would miss her when she's not there. And I guess the 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 guy, the ticket salesman, I was yes. I was kind of fine when he wasn't around. <laughs> you know what Demone's oh, first name oh. is, Mike? It's Mike. Yeah, it's fucking Mike. Boo. I was going to say the other ticket salesman. I guess it's the two of them together when they're in other scenes with other people. Interesting thing happens, but when it's the rat and Debone together, it be, maybe because the rat and he's the only one. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. Mark. When Mark did not become a star, and maybe this is why. Like when it's just the two of them together, it, it, it's the most lifeless the movie is. And he's supposed to have a similar arc to Jennifer Jason Lee, but man, does she blow him out of the water? Are the girls the most interesting characters in this teen romp, Mike? They might just be Ryan. Where's the skeeziest place you've had sex? <laughs> Central Park library outside new york central park the central park the central park in huntington beach yikes oh okay i am 100 percent sure it's somewhere in one of your houses ryan (laughs) (laughs) there's like a couch you you haven't owned for a really long time spider couch yeah (laughs) so you you fucked the spider Uh, the way that you said that wasn't like throughout my past but currently one of the houses i own currently (laughs) you know you're uh who are the three of us in this movie Oh, no. 
I'm um you in movies like this, there's always some uh kids who are just in the background and e- they're not even the dorks. Like they're not the cool kids in the movie. Um they're not like the the iconic kids and they're not even the dorks. They're like not present. They don't get names. Oh, so uh, you're Anthony Edwards. Yeah, so that was me for sure. Like Greg, I was you, just You don't even think you're the guy that goes to Brad and says, "Hey man, can I get a job over at your place?" <laughs> no. That's who I, I would have said Brad Greg is. If you ask most people I went to high school with, did I really go to high school with them? They would be like, "No. I we don't know who that guy is." <laughs> who are you? They just see a blur in front of them. <laughs> if you ask anybody I went to high school with who was not in orchestra band, they have never heard of me. <laughs> Mike, who are you? Uh, who am I? Uh I'm going to say I'm not my namesake. I guess I'm closest to the rat. Okay. Because I will also not be a star. And you both have to tell me who I am, and I will give you points if I'm insulted or complimented too much. I think you are. Spicoli has a friend. I believe it's played by the guy who was supposed to be Marty McFly. Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. He does have red hair. There is a guy. And hot. There's a guy who's like two guys. I don't know if you remember this guy, Ryan. Um, He's like two different guys sitting next to himself. And uh, there's a whole what? scene where I guess the humor is that this there's this guy twice. I think you're that guy. Uh, fuck you, Greg. Mike. Fuck, <laughs> fuck you, Mike. <laughs> is Mike Damone the male Natasha Leone? Dude, no. The, their voice is the same. Their mannerisms are the they same. The, whole, like, hey. the way they hunch their <laughs> shoulders when they talk. Cockroach. It's like a big cockroach. They, they're both from like 1950s, 40s yeah, New York. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He even wears like the, the newsman's cap. <laughs> I'm from the East Coast in 1950s. I happen to be in California in the 1980s. <laughs> uh, ultimately, be fucking honest here, you two knuckleheads. Is Mr. Hand an amazingly committed teacher? Overly committed. He's almost Mr. Rooney committed. You keep waiting for him to like go too far, but the thing he does that ultimately is going too far is he makes Spicoli learn about American history. <laughs> do, do, no, there's Which so w- did Veronica Vaughn in the documentary Billy Madison. Such a hottie. <laughs> uh, do you know what's a bullshit is that he rips up Spicoli's yeah. whole schedule because he's a little late the first day of class. Like that, Yeah, I think that Mr. Hand knew in that moment I went too far. And now yeah. I have to help this kid well, through this semester. I'll double down the rest. Of, oh, I could just but see I him also, saying like, "Why did I do that? That was crazy." You and you, as a teacher, you do oh, that been sometimes. There as a teacher. Yeah, 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 you're like, Ooh. I body checked a kid, and then I was like, "Wait, we're all joking." <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all joking over here. I'm Natasha Leone. Cockroach. <laughs> uh, Heckelin Hecka- was told to remove Damone's dick in the pool house scene, but added it back years later for the Criterion copy. Do you think that she called the actor before that and told him? Nope. I'm putting your. She pulled dick a real Mike DeBone move. <laughs> <laughs> that is very Mike DeBone. Uh, the head of Universal at the time tried to get David Lynch to direct the movie. Would that have been better? <laughs> I, I <laughs> it would be horrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's just that that self awareness would have become like more and more apparent as it went on, and just oh, more and more horrible. Right <laughs> what what kind of tiny disturbing person would live in the pool cleaner? Zelda Rubenstein. <laughs> like, like, ah, Zelda Rubenstein for sure. Allegedly, he uh, sent it back with a note that says, this is very funny. Not my thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's the end of the speed round. When we come back, we're going to give this movie awards, recommendations, and find out who is the winner of the Fast Times episode. We're here with the awards. Did anybody do the research (laughs) as to how many Oscar nominations Fast Times received? Zero. Zero, right? I read that uh, we may never know for sure. Oh, fucking. Lost to history. Those yeah. are the weirdest websites. Just like, I don't know. 
All right, well, we're, we're first going to start with uh, recommendations. Greg, if you liked or did not like, or if you're just a Greg, what should you watch after Fast Times? I The movie I kept thinking about was Licorice Pizza, um, because it's also about trying to trying to figure things out. It's also sort of like this really like not very narratively focused Fairly movie. Fairly structure-free. Yeah, um, and feels like uh, uh, it's capturing a time. The one part, I, I keep going back to Licorice Pizza, though, is... There's a very awkward part with, um, and I can't remember the actor's name, but he he's a guy that's like in the movie he's he owns like a Japanese he owns a sushi restaurant yeah and he's so, like these John Michael are, Higgins yes yeah these scenes are so awkward and awful so <laughs> I wonder if I will continue to recommend Licorice Pizza but it it's as a white person maybe it's easy for me to just like sort of x those out of my recollection of the movie but it. In every other way, this the, this movie like captured that feeling for me. Isn't it shocking that that kind of scene isn't in this movie? Yeah, there's I'm, no. Uh, I mean, all those like caricatures from the John Hughes movies that would come out five to seven years later, those aren't here really. Because there's no. so much more heart to this movie. Because yeah. this is a loving, beautiful movie of like made by good people, <laughs> people who like people. Uh, yeah, I love Licorice Pizza, but. I would just say, like, in the future, PTA or anybody, any other directors, like, even if you think that you have the reason for doing that John Michael Higgins scene with a horrifically offensive Japanese accent or whatever accent, it took so much attention from the rest of your movie. How about yeah, that being enough of a reason to cut it? You know, he, he said, like, that's what it was like back then, or this was a real thing that happened to me. Cut it anyway. Just I would it. honestly, I would cut it now. Like, seriously, go yeah. back in. Like, like yeah, directors take it cut. out now. <laughs> yeah. Like, because, uh, like, I'm not sure. Like, I, w- I couldn't make the recommendation without saying that because right. I can't. You, that is like an undigested part of that movie. I can't come to terms with it. And so, I don't know, man. Maybe think about excising it. It's cool. I, I also think as, as, a, as a nation, as a world, we should steer back into recommendation doesn't mean I'm condoning literally every fucking that's second that's point. in this thing. No, yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. But I, I just, I thought it was worth mentioning oh, because for, if, sure. for no other reason than what Ryan said, which is that we watched a movie that came out 40 years earlier and doesn't feel the need to devolve into mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So many uh, reviews from, we have to move on, but so many reviews from critic screening were just like talking about the, uh, the audience reaction, the uproarious laughter to oh. that, you know, Mickey Rooney esque impression instead of talking about the movie. It was just a bad decision. Yeah. Mike, what do you recommend from fast times? Oh, we've kind of already danced around this, but I'm going to choose one of his lesser seen ones that I still think deserves to be watched. I'm going to go with Everybody Wants Some by oh. The Link. Uh, you want narrative list? Do you want a big crew of people trying to figure out who they are? I'd say this is a little more zany and a little less heartfelt than Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but it's a good time in the movies. I love Everybody Wants Some. I'd never thought, like, you would think that after Linklater made Dazed and Confused and then grew up for 30 years, he would not have this in him. Right. And there is some things like Greg was talking about. There's some scenes that, you know, were controversial of like, why are we seeing this girl, this drunk girl's boobs and stuff There's like that? There's more gratuitous nudity in this one. But everybody loves them as a blast. What is less of a blast, but I think means as much to me, character wise, as uh, Fast Times is Adventureland. And nice. Adventureland took a lot of shit when it came out. Like the classic hack tag is that you promised me super bad because of the trailers. And this is like a serious drama. And therefore, I hate it, as opposed to, <laughs> it's a good, serious drama. But the whole, like, it's a little more focused, a little more narrative than Fast Times, but not by much. And I love all these performances. 
Adventureland gets me in the same way Fast Times does. Adventureland rules. All right, Mike, because you were more supportive of your movie, I guess I'll give you that point. Uh, (laughs) Most surprising actor, Mike, who were you most surprised to see in this movie? There's a lot. Basically, if you're like me, you just remember Phoebe Cates and Spickley. Uh, But I'd have to say the person I was most surprised because I've never known how old they were. And I certainly didn't ever think they were youthful in 1982. Forrest Whitaker made my jaw drop. <laughs> just be like, what? <laughs> you were a child. Yeah. And apparently, uh, like, he, he's shot to be the biggest person of all time. And one of the things I read today is that uh, he came in looking fierce as possible, like the scariest person that the auditioners had ever seen. And then they said that he had the part. And they looked out the window while he was walking to his car. And he just skipped and danced <laughs> and then jumped in his car to get away. It's adorable. <laughs> Greg, who you got? Uh, I was most surprised to see Eric Stoltz. Um, all right, I'm officially calling this. Neither one of you are going to say Nicolas Cage on purpose. <laughs> well, his because is, I feel like his is you hear too that famous. Associ- yeah, and you hear it associated with this movie a lot. Like, did you know? But like. Mm. I, when I when I saw young Eric Stoltz, I was so surprised. Before he had his mask s- surgery? Yeah. <laughs> I had just totally forgotten that he's in it, whereas the Nick Cage thing, I feel like that comes up often. Yeah, you see pictures of it on the internet all the time. It's also maybe just because he has that kind of face, but like this was his first movie, and I know he was a Coppola. He even went by Nick Coppola, but it feels like the movie's like, isn't it crazy he's here? <laughs> like, <laughs> um. Would, are you guys surprised to find out that uh, apparently, and how many lies does Nick Coppola have in this movie? A half? None? I don't yeah, know. I think no it's lines? close to zero. Uh, he had constant improvisations for the director. He was <laughs> nonstop improvising. What if you took my face <laughs> off? <laughs> uh, Greg, time you most wanted to high-five Spickley. Okay, um, so... You know, I, I'm ambivalent about Spicoli. Sometimes I'm like, cut down the antics. Other times I'm like, this is a child and I'm worried for him. Like, what's his future hold? Probably Supreme Court justice. But um, the... Beer! Uh, <laughs> I love beer! Um, but the time I really wanted to, like, give him a crisp high five was when uh, he spent eight hours listening to Mr. Hand talk about American history. And honestly, in his own words... He tries to sum up what he's heard. And for my two cents, like, I think he does a pretty good job. Mr. Hand's like, ah, you know, nah, not really. But anyways, good for you. I I was, like, proud of Spicoli. Mm-hmm. He basically put big concepts from history into his own words. He did the work. He tried. Um, and I wanted to give him a, a high five. <laughs> That's not bad, Mike. D- does it? I'll get to mine, but doesn't it seem like Adam Sandler watched this and went, I'm going to make a whole yeah, movie just about Spicoli absolutely. called Billy Madison? It feels like a lot of people watch this movie and went, you know what? I'm just going to do that. Universal really pushed all people involved to make a Spicoli Goes to College sequel. <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't. Uh, mine is because I think it's one of the funniest jokes and the delivery is amazing. Is uh, It makes no sense. Uh, get out of here, Curtis. I don't hear you unless you knock to his little brother. Yeah. <laughs> and his, li- his little brother does stomp out. And so, like, Spicoli is a lot like Mr. Hand in that moment. And it made me laugh. And I wanted to high-five him for a good joke. And just laid there, despite Curtis saying, get up, you butthole. <laughs> Man, if you don't overuse butthole, it's the perfect, perfect <laughs> insult. Uh, but that one's going to Greg because Greg. bonding with teachers. Mike, pound for mm. pound performance. Let's I mean, get th- into it. We talked about her the whole show, and I think we did for a reason. It's Jennifer Jason Lee, and 
I've seen a few of her performances in adult, but she's pretty good. Love her in Atypical. More people should watch that show just so I know it's not a fever dream I made up. But the work she does here, man, without saying lines, it's if you drill down to the one, it's her reaction to realizing Linda is full of shit in the bathroom about her letter to Doug. Every little moment twitch that JGL does there is amazing. And it's JJL. That's what I said. You're saying JGL, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. JJL. <laughs> it's not Joseph Gordon-Levitt was not in this movie. JJL. Greg, pound for pound performance. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Judge Reinhold, uh, carrying a lot of the weight of the comedy of this movie, imbuing a lot of energy into lines that wouldn't be that funny otherwise, including, read the sign, learn it, live it. <laughs> he's such a square uh, and then you know also being humiliated also being angry uh i felt like he he gave many different he gave all the different dimensions that exist within the movie exist within judge reinhold's performance that's a good call but JJL was the star of the show pound for pound performance meant you guys could have picked nicholas cage that's true he would not have won cringiest moment Greg, was this a hard one to pick, or was it like, ah, this movie's not that cringy? I felt like this movie was not that cringy. Um, you know, especially considering it came out in, in 1982. Um, but I will tell you the part that made me cringe, Ryan. I would love that. Um, uh, Phoebe Kate says to Jennifer Jason Lee, like, you should have sex. You're 15. I did it when I was 13. Ugh. And yes. I guess that's probably not true. Um, right. But it still is just like worrisome, upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just, and it does remind you of like everyone in this movie is supposed to be very young, and I don't think the movie is exploitative, but uh, it just it's like it, like an icky air kind of passes over the movie in, in that moment. Plus, especially when you realize that uh, Linda is lying. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's what kind of makes it, n- it ultimately maybe not be so cringy is that like it's not true. She's probably honestly never like kissed a boy at this. But know, at, at this that phase. point in the movie, does Stacy know Linda is lying? No, you know, no and way. that's like so. And she's, as an audience member, I did not know that. So what's what's worth? It's worth it to Linda to make herself seem cool in front of Stacy, and have Stacy go and have sex just so she looks cool. Yeah. All right, Mike. Cringy moment. Perfect pivot point to my cringiest moment. And then the movie wants us to cringe, but I'm going to really drill down the, the cringiest moment of a 26-year-old taking a 15-year-old to have sex in a high school dugout. <laughs> what, you don't have an apartment, radio guy? Uh, no foreplay, no making out. He just sticks it in, right, like after three seconds of kissing, and it made me gag. And yeah. then never contacts her ever again. Well, besides mm-hmm. the flowers that she oh, has yeah. to throw away, much like the baby she later has to throw away. Oh, it's I get the baby. whole movie now. Uh, all right. Uh, everything about this movie is cringy, but in the right way. I think that Greg is the closest, so I'm going to give it there. Right. Amy Heckerling, director of Loser for Mike and Clueless for Greg. <laughs> do we see this here? What do we see building here? Mike, what do we see as Amy Heckerling's director's signature moment? I, I think it's... You, you'll see it. You'll see it here. You'll see it in Clueless. You'll see it in Loser. You'll see it in Vamps. It is the... The montage. I think Heckling is a master of montage and how she uses it to not just be like, here's this world and here's this tone, but here's these characters. Like, in such a short economical amount of time, w- w- here is the world we're entering in right now. Uh, and it's instead of like a lazy ass dumb monologue, uh, she crushes it. And I would argue it's not a short amount of time. 
like it's a like it's a full eight of the first ten minutes are montage. I just don't mind it. I love yeah, every minute it flies of it. by. Greg, what do you think? Well, I would say that I would have to default to one of the most like iconic shots in the history of of cinema, which would be. Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool, but I would extend that a little bit because I feel like what we we get the memory of Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool. That's the commentary, and the commentary is not over until we see Phoebe Cates try to get that water out of her ear. <laughs> um, and I I really feel like, and then of course walk in on on Brad masturbating in the bathroom, but I feel like that whole shot and the way it holds up two texts at the same time, which is the text of the high school sex romp as artificial story and then the reality and it shows you that those two things are how different they are and at the same time it's like again one of the most iconic shots ever so that those sort of like double realities there every time i watch this movie it is crazy to think about what the world thinks about the phoebe kate scene which is just there for their own pleasure and what it is in the context of the movie and we've talked about this a lot but you know and like i don't want to just say that Heckerling's great because she's a woman or you know like only a woman could have directed this but like I do kind of think that a dude would have taken this opportunity to exploit it for all it was worth a la Shannon Elizabeth in American Pie mm-hmm. you know so you know how like Top Gun is famous for like getting a bunch of people signed up to the Navy when it came out mm-hmm. do you think when this movie came out and was popular like a ton of houses got locks on the bathroom doors because if you go to <laughs> to houses that were built in the 70s there aren't a lot of those but everything after that like lock the bathroom door greg i'm gonna give it to you for that one uh we're gonna take a break when we come back we're gonna find out who won this episode and how this movie's gonna do in the overall bracket guys that was we did okay right we We got all right that was a rough day a rough show we made it through um ultimately i think that fast times is kind of a masterpiece uh, I think that it's so much more than the sum of its own parts that uh, I, 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 I can't believe, like, I always th- sort of put it in the camp of, like, Caddyshack, of, like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Oh, everybody quotes it. That's older than me. <laughs> Funny. And after watching it, like, it's so much more than that, so much more than the sum of its parts. Uh, almost, like, flawlessly performed. Um, and, you know, we talked about, like, who do you want the camera to stay on and who do you want it to move away from as hard as like mike damone is to watch like it's really nobody like it's mm-hmm. uh, who, who i want the camera off parents and the movie does that for me in are a very there parents in this movie <laughs> like if they did they would have talked in a trombone style <laughs> that's how i sort of felt <laughs> uh and then as greg you pointed out just before we cut um it's got the 82 and the timelessness i don't know like is there some sort of cinderella path Oh, yeah. I think it can find its silver slipper, glass slipper, its lost I, shoe. I think this show probably represents the the best it's going to do. Like, maybe it, it might win in the early rounds, but I think that we have reclaimed it. Like, we have made the 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 fact that it is in the running. Because I wondered if, like, if we had to include this movie it would have been such a missed opportunity not to have this be in the eight. I just don't know if it has what it takes to really win the whole thing, but I, 
I do think that this movie needs to have a different reputation than the reputation mm-hmm. it has. It needs to have more reputation about its heart and about its the incredible performances in it and its meta commentary instead of just the very two dimensional conversation people have about it. But you're saying it's a different situation than say Adam's Family in '91, or even like a little bit Holy Grail in '75, where we were like, we included it, congratulations on that. But otherwise, right. eh. like this is a, this is even though in the it might running. Not take the whole thing down. Like this is more than just we had to pick a comedy for sure. Yeah, no, it felt it felt like the it felt like that at first maybe, mm-hmm. but um, that's just because this movie doesn't have we don't have the right memories of it. And hopefully now that it's like the 40 year anniversary and everything, hopefully this will be one of the movies that people talk about again and just watch for in a different way, you know, not just as another American pie style movie, but instead um, more like a PT Anderson movie. If people are watching it now who aren't fucking 15 and still are only get American pie, then like there's no saving them. Oh, I mean like like, they, they truly are fools. I mean, but American Pie has nothing left. It's like the jokes don't work anymore. And also it's vile in other ways. I would, I don't know if I would necessarily watch it with her, but let's just say I had a one and a half year old daughter. I hope that she watches this movie as soon as she's ready. Like this movie is filled with, I think, good messages and the treating of very serious subjects in a way that appropriately, like how they should be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg, last week you scored 21 points. Woo. This week you scored... 31 points hey that's so many more points man i must have won that feels really good mike sorry you didn't win greg you explicitly told me to stop being so engrossed in your conversation yeah and just award you points yeah and i did mike you got 29 greg takes the whole Ah. thing down there were so many chunks where i'm like greg is spitting fire i'm spitting fire and ryan's just fucking slack job listening instead of giving us those sweet sweet points (laughs) greg should greg should be at 55 and i should be at 54 (laughs) yeah Fucking okay. heck. I can make it so both of you fucking lose next week. I'm tired of this <laughs> reputation. This unearned, dubious reputation. Do not give this to me again, or you will find your asses in grass, and I'm the lawnmower. <laughs> well, it was well thought, Mike. I thought that was a really good one. Honestly, yeah. um, I, I wondered about this this show just because I, I thought, you know, um, I wasn't blown away by the movie, but the more we talked about it, the more I really did. You got to talk about it with your friends, man. Yeah, it's one of sure. the yeah, it's one of the opener uppers. And yeah, I think that you know we we, were, we really did explore all the layers that are just there, that are just that Heckerling and Crow just put into it. Um, but it's definitely the kind of movie that, and you said this, Mike, before the show started, it's the kind of movie that that you need to get your teeth into, that kind of gets like stuck in your head, and you need to explore. And I, I think that the show was a fun opportunity to do that. With that, I will be so happy when you guys with me in the 2004 season watch Loser. And it also <laughs> is just as good. Absolutely not going to happen. <laughs> as someone who looks just like Zach Orth, star of Loser, <laughs> I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. Guys, we have so many awesome 1982 shows coming up, including a uh, movie starring hot boy Ricardo Montalban, <gasps> hot boy Kurt Russell, and Ouch. hot lady Zelda Rubenstein. I'm so <laughs> excited for all three of those. But until we get to that, keep watching those movies. So, while Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected anywhere in the U.S. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th. 
Abortion is a basic health care need for millions of people who can become pregnant. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures shouldn't be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. And we're already seeing certain medical practices be restricted even in those states. You can help by donating to local abortion funds. To find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four, donationsforabortion.com. If you or someone you know needs help or if you want to get more involved, here are five resources. One, Shout Your Abortion is a campaign to normalize abortion. Two, Don't Ban Equality is a campaign for companies to take a stand against abortion restrictions. Three, abortion.cafe has information about where to find clinics. Four, plancpills.org provides early at-home abortion pills that you can keep in your medicine cabinet. And five, choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. Has a collection of these resources and more. You can also find all the links to these resources at podvoices.help and in the show notes. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.